0: Steve, uh, how are you? Look at you—got your glasses on today. You look very studious.
1: I know. I forgot the last minute, but my contacts were getting to me, so I feel wonderful. It's great.
0: Okay. It's a podcast night. What could be better? I know. I'm excited. It, it, it's good because we've we've got data researchers on the podcast today. So I, th- I think it's good that you look studious. Today. Good. That's true.
1: Good day re- yeah. to researchers. I'm looking at academic and it's an academic topic. That's actually a fun academic topic.
0: Yes. It's it, at least for us. It's a fun academic topic. All right. Uh This is the stuff. Summer says podcast with Steve, 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 Uh, But in addition, we also have a great guest joining us. His name is Joe Cobbs. He is the professor and chair of sports business at Northern Kentucky University, which is a long roundabout way of saying he is in charge of the no rivalry K N O W rivalry project, which essentially measures the intensity of rivalries by fans, according to fans across, not just like college football, but if there's a sport, essentially they measure it. Um, it's a really fascinating project that you kind of had discovered um, from a documentary that they were involved in between um, Ohio State and Michigan and looking at that. But it's a, it's a super interesting way to essentially ass, uh, assign data points, data to rivalries, which are maybe at least at Penn State, somewhat hard to kind of tangibly put together or, 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 understand. Um, and I think they do a great job, um, of doing it. So, um, we're going to, we, we have that interview and then we're gonna talk about the Peach Bowl a little bit. And then this week's old guy, young guys, Christmas related because why not? So you ready? Go ahead and take uh go ahead take a listen to the interview with Joe. Steve, um, uh, we, we've got an interesting guest at one of the most fascinating sports studies I think I've ever seen. And, Probably one that will have a lot of opinions, especially in the Penn State world where we like to say we don't have any rivals. Um, so thanks for joining us, Joe Copps. uh, He is the professor and chair of sports business at Northern Kentucky University. Um, but really why we're interviewing, why we're discussing him today with him today is the No Rivalry Project, which t- essentially you know what, Joe? I'm just going to let you explain what it is. What is it for? You know, those who haven't heard of this project, and, and how did it all kind of come about?
2: Sure, um, happy to be here. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's so it's no rivalry, K N O W rivalry, and um, it really started uh, about 15 years ago now, when I was a PhD student at the University of Massachusetts. And a colleague of mine, a guy in the same cohort as me, uh, David Tyler, who's now a faculty member at the University of Massachusetts, we were taking a sports marketing seminar, like PhD seminar, you know, reading a lot of research about it, academic research. Um, and both of us had worked in industry as well, you know, So we weren't pure academicians. We were kind of coming from industry and making that transition. And in that uh, seminar, you know, we had to write a paper. And David was looking up a, a definition, looking for an academic definition of rivalry. Um, and there really wasn't a consensus around that, as odd as that might sound. And he was surprised by it, you know, and kind of pulled me in and was like, you know, am I missing something here? And and so that planted the seed um, that there's there wasn't a lot of work broad work on on rivalry. You know, there were some really good studies about individual rivalries, like kind of ethnographic uh, or qualitative studies, but there wasn't like a broad um, uh, survey of rivalries. And so um, you know, we both finished our PhD work and kind of did something else for our dissertations and then moved on to our, our first institutions. And But we kept coming back to this. And so um, I think it was and 13 is when we first started. We did some interviews of fans and stuff like that, but that's when we launched sort of the biggest um, survey, initial survey offering, which was in college football, where we were asking uh, message boards is what we use primarily. And we went to all these different message boards across all of the FBS teams and uh, asked the fans to, to, tell us a little bit about you know their their level of fandom and then who are your clubs or your team's biggest rivals um, And so we have a, a measurement technique that we use for that and then we also ask them about, you know, how do you feel about rival fans and how do you think rival fans kind of feel about you? And we used a bunch of different kind of academic measures for that. And so it's caught on a lot since then, you know, that was 10 years ago. It's expanded into professional sports and we just expanded into, um, outside of the United States into some foreign sports in the last two years, international sports, um, and so it's become a big project. We've pulled in some other, some of our colleagues, a lot of our students, we've pulled in to do some of the work. Um, it's become a class at NKU. Um, so so a lot of has spawned from there. Um, but, But the real gist of it is just to help us better understand how fans perceive rivalry across a large sample of rivalries.
0: That makes sense. Let's let's talk through the the measurement. This was my favorite part of exploring the website. Was kind of the the measurement, the prejudice, discrimination, Schadenfreude, rivalry, reverse rivalry points. Let's talk through those measurement points. I think that would be be good if if we could start there, and then we'll we'll see where we go from there.
2: Sure. Kind of the most basic one um, that gets a lot of media attention is we give fans a hundred rivalry points that they can allocate to any of their favorite team's opponents. So they can allocate all 100 points to one rival, uh, or they can choose to divide those points over up to 10 rivals. We allow uh, them to pick uh, if they choose to. And so, Then we take the average. So we'll use Penn state as an example. You know, we, we average all of the Penn state fans allocations of points across different opponents. And that gives us kind of a measure, you know, so in the case of Penn state, it's about 37 points on average to Ohio state and about 25 to Pitt, and about 19 to Michigan, um, But then we look at how do those other teams allocate their points. And so if Ohio State fans give a couple points to Penn State, then we would add, however, what's the average points that Ohio State gives to Penn State? What's the average points that Penn State gives to Ohio State? And that gives us a relatively simple measure of the intensity of the rivalry. So the maximum score would be 200. Yeah. The higher the the score, the higher the all one hundred points of every Penn State fan gave to Ohio State and vice versa, right? Um, And then the one other thing that we use that measure for um, is we subtract the difference too to get to get a measure of what we call imbalance. So uh, our particular rivalry is imbalanced. You know, if I subtract the points that one school allocates to the other and of course the maximum measure there would be 100 you know if you had a a team whose fans gave all 100 points to a certain opponent and that opponent reciprocated with zero points um, then you'd have a different score of 100 Um, so that's kind of the that's the basic measure Um, and we don't we don't that's just a small part of sort of what we use in academic publishing, but it's a large part of sort of what, what the media and the fans kind of latch onto and get excited about comparing.
0: It's interesting here looking at Penn State's, you've got, you know, Pitt relatively, it's a 41 25 split, but then you've got Temple, it's a 53 to 0. 9, 0. 0.9 split, <laughs> um, which it's funny to think about that way. When you were, you're first initially getting back the bigger batches of data and and starting to really crunch the numbers. What was the one thing that stood out that really surprised you the most?
2: Yeah. You know, well, let me come back to that in a second, but I want to point out like you brought up that sort of 52 point difference between Temple and Penn state, which is like the fourth most unbalanced rivalry in FBS, you know, so I should, (laughs) I should point that out. Um, But to your question, you know, what, what stood out to us initially, I think when you're talking about the point measurement was that Arizona, Arizona state, you know, came out on top, even if, even in our niche initial measurement. So we sort of did some sampling and, and collected uh, a couple thousand responses, you know, across several different conferences at first, just to make sure our measure worked the way we wanted it to and try and iron out, you know, any sort of limitations that we could. And, and Arizona Arizona State came out on top. And we were like, well, you know, maybe if we, you know, once we get to collect in, you know, now we have probably 40,000 college football fans that have filled it out. You know, we're like, ah, oh, you know, that might be, that'll eventually slide down the list. But consistently, it's been at the top. And there's another rivalry researcher at the University of Memphis, Cody Havard. He measures rivalry in a completely different way. But the most intense rivalry in the, Different way he measures it, Arizona, Arizona State. That's funny. <laughs> um, so, so that kind of, I felt like was, was a pretty interesting finding. And then to have to have Cody find the same thing um, made it even more interesting.
1: Are, were your expectations, you talked about trying to define rivalry, right? Like an academic, how do fans define? Like, what are you finding? There's open-ended parts of that question that you've heard from people what do you hear from them anecdotally or in their life that 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 maybe isn't on paper in terms of research what rivalry is
2: yeah you know we we have you know kind of our own academic definition which you can see there on the website um and if you compare well let me first answer your question i think fans we asked them in the survey you know right after they allocate points we asked them in an open-ended question you know why is this team the top rival, you know, and the survey will pipe in the name of that team. So in the case of Penn State, if if somebody allocated most points, or the most points they allocated was to Ohio State, the next question would say, why is Ohio State a rival? And that gives us some insight. Before we give them more questions that might, that might influence their response, we ask them right away that kind of that open-ended question. And if I had to summarize what we see most often, I th- I would say it's just that that opponent means more than other opponents. Now, what we're trying to get at in a lot of our research is why, you know, like why does a particular opponent mean more than other opponents to people? So you get into a lot of like a lot of the theory and um Research that we call upon is in social psychology, you know, this group based in group, out group type thinking, because when it comes down to it, I mean. Really, if, if you think about it in terms of soccer, where you get three points for a win and, and one point for a tie, right. All the opponents have the same meaning in terms of the quantitative meaning, you know, you beat an opponent, you get three points, you tie them, you get one point. But all soccer fans know that not every opponent means the same to them. Um, And so that's what we see when fans answer that question is they're essentially telling us that this particular opponent means more and and then they're telling us why and then what we're looking for is sort of patterns over time of what comes up more and more um, as to why, no matter what the rivalry is. And that's what led us... To our academic definition which really focuses on threat um and so like most academics it's a long definition but the key point is that a certain opponent poses a sale we call it a salient threat um more than other opponents essentially and we put in some language about in-group and out-group a threat to your in-group and and makes positive comparisons to the out-group difficult um, and that's what we find is fans will describe, you know, when we ask them why it, is this particular opponent a rival, they're essentially describing some sort of threat. Um, you know, that's the team that's going to keep us from winning the championship, or um, in some cases, it's it's kind of a conspicuous moment in the rivalry. Um, so, so that part is not necessarily a threat to the one side depending on how that moment kind of played itself out um so that's another ingredient we have this sort of list of 10 ingredients to rivalry but most of those ingredients come down to some type of uh, a threat that that opponent creates
1: are there Uh, okay are are there you mentioned arizona arizona state are there rival what consistently shows up in the top four or five then for you like across
2: the sports or whatever else what are the top rivalries that people are self-identifying you, you mean the top reasons that something's a rival or like what are the most intense rivalries, the most intense across rivalries. kind of all the sports yeah the most intense across yeah.
1: all sports um
2: well first of all i should point out like college football in the way that we measure it so if you remember 200 is kind of the highest possible score the college football rivalries tend to be particularly intense um so you get many more I think we have, I'm looking at the top 10 list, and every rivalry in the top 10 is over 135 points. And so you essentially have these two opponents that are really focused on each other. You know, that's what that measure, that's why we use the word intensity, is because they're really focused on each other. Um, So to your question, if you go to, um, let's say the NHL, because the NHL also, in profession, professional sports tends to have some of the most intense rivalries, but only the top, let's see one, two, only the top six are above a hundred points in the NHL. Mm -hmm. Um, And the top one, the Bruins Canadians is about 130, 129 points. Um, Whereas Arizona state or Arizona, Arizona state was 181 points. (laughs) So, I mean, you essentially have both sides giving 90 points to each other. And, No surprise to anybody number two is army navy you know at 160 points you know they're essentially giving 80 points to each other um so they're not they don't care about anybody else you know and that's why i feel like that that term intensity is is a good descriptor we're not saying it's the top rival we're not saying it gets the most attention from from media necessarily like national media we're looking at the fans themselves You know, what do the fans involved in these rivalries, you know, what is their, uh, we're trying to represent their perspective um, in this. Now, the flip side of your question is the NBA has only has one rivalry over 100 points and it's Lakers Celtics. Like all the other rivalries are kind of transient. You know, the NBA is sort of a star driven league. And that's what we see even in our, even in our data. Um. So they tend to have much less intense, like team rivalries.
0: Cool. How much does geography play into all of this? You particularly, when you look at college football. You look at Penn State's. Really, I think every one of these schools, but Michigan technically borders Pennsylvania itself, or is within Pennsylvania. So, how much does geography play come into play here with rivalries?
2: Yeah, I think it it depends a little bit on the sport you know i think in college football you know our data shows that it's a pretty important element um but not the top ingredient you know actually i can could probably pull up that data here as i'm talking um so also we find that in mls geography is particularly important um and and in the national football league it's pretty Pretty important, um, but really it, it kind of comes down to the structure of the sport in terms of how do they set up divisions if they have divisions or, or conferences in this case. And I think what might be interesting for us to see is with this conference realignment happening in college football, you know, will we see 10 years from now that fans don't rate geography as that important to the rivalry um, compared to what it used to be? You know, um, I think that we could I think it's very likely that we might see that. I think in MLS, it's really important because you MLS is a younger league. You don't have as many um, defining moments over the course of history or conspicuous characters. Another ingredient to rivalry of our of our 10. Um, There just hasn't been as much time for those narratives to develop. Um, And that's another kind of key word to rivalry is that typically there's some sort of narrative or story that involves a certain mix of these ingredients, these 10 ingredients. um, And that's what makes that opponent stand out compared to other opponents.
0: Makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking about, I'm a DC United fan. And I I think if you ask anyone, it's, it's probably the Red Bulls just because that's like DC, New York, that's kind of the quintessential East coast rivalry. Um, I guess, from a, a broader perspective, how is this data being used in the real world? How is it being applied to sports marketing, sports psychology, whatever it may be?
2: Yeah, I can give you I can give you some good examples um from a couple of different contexts. So we went to my research partner and I, David Tyler, um He went to undergraduate at Notre Dame and was a fencer there, you know, and so he's got some connections like in their athletic department. He was actually an assistant fencing coach for a while before he got into the business side. Um, And so their athletic department invited him and I to come for the Notre Dame USC game um, and then speak to some of their alumni and then also speak to their athletic department um, as well on the next Monday, kind of uh, after the game. And what their athletic department was really interested in in our data was not football necessarily, but they wanted to know really how these ingredients, how fans perceive these ingredients that create a rivalry because they're like, we have some pretty set football rivalries, but with you know our ACC scheduling and other sports, you know, there's – there's kind of rivalries in certain sports with a certain uh, uh, opponent, but it might be di- completely different in another sport. And so their their marketing department and their sponsorship arm were trying to think about you know is there a way that if we understand the ingredients to rivalry, we can recognize those ingredients, and then capitalize on a developing rivalry. Um, and so I think. You know, there's been a couple examples. The one that always gets thrown around the media is like UConn and UCF and the civil conflict, which was invented by UConn and UCF didn't know anything about it. You know, that's kind of thrown around as this example where marketers get out of control and they cre- try to create this rivalry and it's not authentic, right? And so getting back to your question, we think that by representing it and having uh, all of this data of the fans perspective, it helps to make sure that doesn't happen, Right you could see how do fans really feel about rivalry. You know, what are the ingredients that that they name over and over and and who are the opponents that are important to them or they consider to be rivals? Two other quick examples. One is in MLS. So FC Cincinnati would be kind of my home club here. Northern Kentucky University is in, in the metro Cincinnati area, obviously on the Kentucky side of the river. But... Um, When FC Cincinnati moved from USL, the minor league, up to MLS, I mean, they kind of had a natural connection with the crew. They had played them in the US Open Cup. Um, But... I went into their office and met with their sales staff about these ingredients to rivalry and did a brainstorming kind of workshop session with them because they were interested in, okay, we know that the fans perceive the crew as a rival, but but are there some other possibilities here that we could recognize and we could use from a business standpoint? And then a college sports example, my own university, NKU, moved into division one about 10 to 12 years ago, we were originally in the Atlantic sun for a couple of years. And then we got kind of a better home or a better fit institutionally in the horizon league, but there was no real history with, with our athletic department and any of those other athletic departments. And so now that we've been in the league for about seven, six to eight years, um, by understanding those ingredients to rivalry, our athletic department's really interested in, okay, we're starting to see some of these ingredients emerge you know, is it time for us to perhaps think about name and arrival, or or coming up with you know putting a sponsor on a particular series, and and can we call it arrival and it be authentic? Really interesting, it, Steve.
1: So can a program, and I'm this is going to be heavy hand to jump into it. These people are looking for this magic sauce of rivalry when they're talking to you a little bit. Of what's going on? Can a program be unrivaled? Like, can it? Is it? Is there a, a not that they can't be successful, but what does that mean? People certainly perceive value in having a rival. So Penn State, specifically for football, is we're unrivaled, right? There's not across. There's not a team that's there every year in the schedule. It's the marketing thing. What would you yeah. think about
2: that kind of challenge? Is there a challenge there or not? I think there is a challenge there, and and first of all, I think it's I think it's a good strategy in the current sort of state of penn state you know in their current situation because it turns the what some people might see as a disadvantage of not having a rival into kind of a point of pride right so so i like that i like that um that idea but i think that if you had to ask me why that's the case it's because you know some of the of course you know penn state's a in the history of the Big Ten, a relatively recent addition, Um, but some of the kind of natural ingredients to rivalry, like we talked about geography, um, the competitiveness, um, hasn't been there for some of the other institutions that, that might share those ingredients, but the competitiveness is lacking. Right, You know, like I could see Rutgers or Maryland or um, definitely those two. Or if, um, you know, when Michigan was went through their period where they were down for quite a while, you know, and I know, you know, I, work, I used to work in the athletic department at Ohio State and, and got my master's degree there. There was a lot of Ohio State fans that are like, you know what, M- maybe Penn State's going to be our rival of the future. Um, not that Michigan wouldn't still be a rival because I don't think that'll ever sort of die off, but, but their competitiveness had, had gone down to the point where, you know, it was, it wasn't competitive. Of course they, they came roaring back. Um, but I think, you know, in our measures of rivalry, it's, you know, no measure is perfect and ours is certainly not perfect, you know? So when a Penn state fan takes our survey, It's programmed to where it won't let you allocate less than 100 points. So really, for an institution like Penn State, there's no way for you to take the survey and not allocate your points. You know, so you kind of can't get your point across if your point is we don't have any rivals. You kind of have to write it in, um, you know, into the the open-ended section. Um, Right.
0: Really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I I hadn't thought about that in that perspective, but yeah, that, that's that's a good point. All right, I'm going to leave you. I, I want to leave you with this last question: Why are rivalries so
2: important to sports?
0: Why are they a part of the fabric of sports?
2: Yeah, I think of course I could you know give you a business answer. I'm in a college of business, a Hale college of business, but but I think the more fun answer is really the psychology of it or the social psychology of it you know there's a lot of work that preceded our work on rivalry that shows that when you you know social identification th- theory gives this idea that we define ourselves based on group affiliation um, groups in society and sports is one of those big groups and the research also shows in social psychology that the more salient an outgroup is to your in-group, the more the stronger you identify with that in-group. Okay, so let me give you an example, and I use my own example. And maybe Penn State—I mean, you guys will have to tell me if they're a bit of an exception to this—but I think at NKU, of course, we're a mid-major, n- nothing of the status sort of athletically as Penn State. But our students and our alumni would be much more identified with NKU with the Norse if. Everyone knew who the rival team was, you know, Um, but instead it's, you know, some people would say Wright State, some people would say Youngstown State, it's, it's just not entirely, maybe Cleveland State, it's it's not entirely clear, but like in an Ohio State Michigan situation, like everybody knows who the outgroup is. You know, it's completely salient. There's really no doubt about it. And that makes people kind of more identify with an in-group. It's like uh, you got to pick one or the other. Um, and in in Kentucky, where my university is, even a lot of our students, they'll tell me in, in the rivalry class, they're like, oh, yeah, in my family, like it's a it's a University of Kentucky family. We bleed blue or it's right. Louisville, Louisville, right? You're either one or the other. Um, and I think that that is kind of why we need rivalry is because we get excited about that that opponent and hopefully some of our research helps to identify those positives but also make sure that it gets moderated so that it doesn't go overboard and lead to too much discrimination or too much antisocial sort of activities of course we don't want to have violence in the way that that some of the the clubs do overseas um And so by getting these measurements, we can kind of measure the intensity of it now and maybe monitor over time, like, you know, is it going, are we going too far or what might lead us to go too far?
0: That makes a lot of sense. All right, Joe, well, I want to say thank you for joining us. And uh, how can people take the survey? How can people kind of participate in, in this experiment?
2: Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, the best way is just to go onto the website, knowrivalry.com, So no rivalry.com. And the first link you'll see is take the survey. And I'd love people to do that before you look at the results, right? That's why the very first link you see on the front page is the survey <laughs> link um, before you can navigate to the results.
0: Awesome. We'll, we'll we'll put that part at the beginning of the interview.
2: We'll cut it and put
0: that part at the beginning of the interview so that people are prepared. Now, this is great. This is super interesting. I'm going to spend the next five hours, even though I've already spent the previous five hours, screwing around with this website um,
2: because it's really <laughs> interesting. You know, we really have college basketball data, too. It's just not we haven't cleaned it all yet and gotten it up sort of programmed into the website. But we do we do have quite a bit of college basketball awesome. data. Someday awesome. it'll get up there, hopefully within the next six months or so.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Steve, I thought your, your unrivaled question was, was great. And I think I know, I, I know Joe was alluded to the fact that people have to take the survey, we, we have to take the survey. Therefore they have to give a score. But I think the data, in my opinion, at least suggests that Penn state doesn't necessarily have a rivalry, right? Like there's, there's certain teams that Penn staters look at with more, gusto than other others and there's like temple and rutgers who penn state barely give a one to, and they give 40 points to or 30 points to um so i think that was that was really interesting um from the interview i think the other thing that was interesting to me to hear is how it's used in the marketing departments of your college just or the mls or whatever it may be um so that was what I was most curious about. What What is the real world impact of this data? Um, so what was your biggest takeaway, Steve?
1: I think when he talked about Penn State and we talked about not having a rival in the in and out groups, it struck me that Penn State doesn't have a rival now and isn't going to have one for a long time because it's in and out group is the whiteout, right? You're in mm-hmm. for the whiteout as a Penn Stater. And if you're not there as a Penn Stater or a tourist fan, you're out, right? Like that's Penn State's thing. And even the whiteout, isn't it is a it is a tribal thing, right? Everybody wears white, but it's not even so much about being in and out. It's about us being able to do this thing, right? And everybody, and it'll happen next year. Oh, somebody's doing a, a bronze out, a blackout. Oh yeah, they're jealous of the white out, right? So it kind of comes to that, it goes back to that unrivaled mentality of and it kind of fits with 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 that approach in some ways too. So I think that's what what struck me. And also that the survey isn't made for coaches at all because mm-hmm. because there's only 10 slots. So if you were Coach James Franklin, you wouldn't be able to put everybody in at an equal percentage and say you were one and 0
0: each week. There it is. There it is. That's what Steve wanted. Um, that's what he wanted to say. That's why he had he, he got that guest. Um, no, I th- I hadn't thought about the 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 whiteout aspect of it, but yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. Is this is I I think that's the way I've always looked at the whiteout. Is this is always Penn State's thing, and 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 you take pride like that is. When it comes to Penn State football, that is the thing that I'm most proud of. It's like you have to go experience a whiteout. When, when you talk to other people, the, the question always comes up. Like that's the first thing about it. I'm sure if you're an Ohio State fan, it's have you ever been to the Ohio State Michigan game? And I thought that, I think mm-hmm. another point that he made that was interesting that thinking about it in the context of Penn State, right, is for some people that answer is like that. Like you can say if you if you're an Ohio State fan most of them are going to say Michigan like and and that's going to be the first words out of their mouth but for Penn State fans you might say Pitt you might say Ohio State you might say Michigan like there's not really one clear answer and I think some of that also going back to our whole is across demographics and across eras like I think also maybe also where you're from I, I would assume that Eastern half people of the state slash New Jersey people do look at Rutgers with a little bit more intent than maybe Pitt, you know, vice versa. And I think that gets back to the whole unrivaled thing of, well, there's not really that much of a story here aside from maybe the old story of Pitt, Penn State that, that there is to tell.
1: If you had to put the numbers in, did you do the survey? Or if you had to put the I have not done in, it who, yet. who would you put in? Like if you had to put in a top three, what would you put
0: I think I would put I would put Ohio State probably 40% of 40 points. Um I think he made a good point especially about it it looked like Michigan for a while there. There was a really like a real rivalry starting to brew between Penn State and Michigan and maybe there still is especially with the two egos of the two head coaches. So maybe 30 there. I think there is at least 10 points worth of uh to to Maryland. Um We'll throw ten points to, to pit and then me. I'm gonna throw my last ten. That's because I think we're at ninety. And my You were math. good. I wasn't gonna correct you. You were good. Uh, I think, I think I would do Michigan State. Like I, I genuinely would, just because we share a trophy. Okay, cool. And it's it's a, it's a polite rivalry. I think that's the best way to look at it.
1: That's good. I think that's fair, and I think that's polite, right? With some of the other stuff, right? With whiteout, it's about being better. It's not so much about. being mean-spirited, not that we don't have those people, but it's more about Penn State doing its thing, you know, and other stuff.
0: All right. What would you you – Take take your
1: drink so you don't spit it out.
2: Okay.
1: Refreshing Coca-Cola. There you go. Um, I already did it, and I, I lived in the past. I put down Pitt at, like, 60%, and then Ohio State
0: at 21 and Michigan at 19 I think that's fair. Like, I think that I think that's probably an average answer for people that are not millennials. Like, I think like starting with uh, my generation beyond. Like, I I think it's probably a, probably a wider net. But I think for your generation and and be behind that, that's probably the accurate answer. I think. Well,
1: I, I mean, I think football people look at the football schedule now for the whiteout. I look at sports schedules for Pitt. I mean, we've talked about this before. If I'm going to go to a home softball game this season, although I think they play at Pitt because I've already looked, I would go to the Pitt series, right? Or I would go, you know, just those kind of things just because, you know. So, but it's a fun project. I mean, I just, I, God bless them. That's a cool project and research to do. And it, it's it's neat. Like if you, if you haven't gotten a chance and haven't heard us say it once or twice, no rivalry.com, K-N-O-W-Rivalry.com. Go check it out.
0: Okay. Okay. Um. Now, the other question that you posed to me was, "What are your, my top three rivalries?" So I'm going to give them to you in one to three order. The last one is going to, going to, I think, surprise you a little bit. I, so one,
1: I, one is the first one is is the most. You th- which you think is, is the best? Yes, yes, okay. the
0: best rivalry. Okay. I I, I still maintain Yankees Red Sox like that is still anytime that those games are on in the summer, I still the remote flips to those, and that that's just. If they're on, I'll watch them type thing. I I think no real interest in either of those teams right now, especially. But even growing up, there two thousand you know three to ten when the that that rivalry was really intense in my lifetime. I think yep. that one would be my one. Um, my second would be Ohio State Michigan. I yep. think that's just I think it's Army Navy is is too respectful. I think would be the best way to put it. Like I think Ohio State and Michigan just really just hate each other that much. Yeah. And
1: there's, I mean, it matters beyond what happens on the field for Ohio State Michigan. I mean, because it, it matters right. in, the, in the rankings in some ways. Right. Army Navy just hasn't mattered that way for years. Not that it's not intense.
0: It's a, it's a, it's Americana. It's, it's, it's like the Rose Bowl we talk about. Mm-hmm. All right. And I think I'm going to, I, I enjoy, I enjoy some, some Ivy league football really any of the the triad there between Princeton, Yale, and Harvard. Kind of those three. Like, I've gone to a Princeton-Yale game, and it was a great time, and people were a little jazzed up. It was, so that's my answer. Those are good. Very good. Um, I would go
1: – I think Yankees, Red Sox still make my list. They're probably third. Um, just because, in terms of baseball, you play so many times each year, right? Like, so mm-hmm. – Mm -hmm. And it matters for the TV folks because those games are always on Sunday night baseball or always whatever, but you're, you're playing them all the time. So I, I just, the, the, the odds don't feel as much because it's not something you brag about for a year. Um, I think Duke UNC basketball, Mm. um, again, kind of the same reason in the the media knows it back in the day when ESPN two launched that one of the first big games they put on ESPN two to get viewers to go to from ESPN to ESPN two was Duke UNC basketball during the regular season. You know, they're like, "Oh, it's the, promoted it for a month. It's going to be on ESPN too, so it matters." And it's a game that ends up on prime time almost all the time as well. I mean, not they don't play afternoon basketball games, but still, it's just yeah. a big game. No, yeah, yeah. And um, and I think college football has to be the number one answer and it, just because once a year it matters. It's something, and I'm going to go with the with the Iron Ball, Iron Bowl, mm. Alabama Auburn. Um, it just, I, it, it doesn't mean more in the SEC necessarily, even though they want to use that saying, but it does mean more. There's there's just the proximity, the history, the characters on both sides. It checks a lot of the boxes from the no rivalry perspective. And anytime you got some crazy guy killing trees as a result of a rivalry, that's something. So
0: I, I think about it when you said that, I think about this article I read every year um, and I, I, it's on, it's on Sports Illustrated. I can find the link. Um, for it but it, it it essentially talks through the the day of the kick six and not just the impact of of that on the, the players that day but like the people in that state and, and kind of talks about the importance and I, I just always think about that so yeah that's a good one um yeah cool all right i feel i feel good I feel like we that was a, a fun episode or fun fun stretch all right let's um let's transition briefly to the peach bowl um, so that is pending. Um, Penn State accepted the official invitation this weekend or week, and uh, I don't know. It was kind of weird. Uh, that's my takeaway because it didn't seem like there was like it's event to essentially sell tickets. There was no pomp. There was no circumstance. There was just what appeared to be a very small envelope that Pat Kraft tucked into his shirt pocket or coat pocket, and that was it. Like why not make a giant Chick-fil-A gift card and and give it to James Franklin? Why not, you know, two ticket, like a giant ticket to the Peach bowl and give it to James Franklin or a a giant invitation. I I understand, but it it was kind of weird. And then the press conference was kind of weird because everybody wanted to talk about the important things that are going on, which are a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator. And it didn't seem like those questions were allowed to be asked um, after a certain point. And I don't know, this is kind of the coach's first immediate availability during this whole process. Obviously he's not gonna tell you who the defensive coordinator is if he does if he's gonna hire one, but just kind of a weird vibe to a press conference when we're gonna do this again on Friday, apparently, in terms of press conferences.
1: Yeah, it felt it just felt Antiquated, perhaps, right? Like this is something they did twenty years ago when there was a presentation of thing, or we invite, invited somebody. Apparently, there was free Chick Fil A for the media, but it was it was in the upstairs lounge where the recruiting area is in Beaver Stadium, there at the South End Zone, and all the people up in the recruiting area in the lounge were athletic administrators and coaches and whatever else. So I think it sound. I think from my perspective, it kind of sounded like a way to get a free breakfast, free staff breakfast for everybody to put, it, but to put it on the bowl on the bowl ledger in terms of expenses. Um, yeah, it was, I guess it did what it was supposed to do, right? It shows up on local TV and radio and all the people that cover the team do something with it. It just felt there were two missed, maybe two missed opportunities, right? There was the marketing thing for as much marketing as happens. Well, you know, there could have been something more -ah about it. And I think the other opportunity is just, Hey, here's the coach and the athletic director. If you want to talk to them, yes, the peach bowl is a jumping off point, but we do have half an hour. What do you want to know? Right. Yeah. And it it just seems like that was a missed opportunity as well. Not that they need goodwill, but you know, they're there, you've invited them. Go ahead and let them ask their questions.
0: Athletic director wise too. That's a good point because you, you don't really get those opportunities very often at at Penn state, at least like I almost think like, I mean, there's the one at the big 10 media days and then maybe one later in the year. Um, But almost there needs to be, if, if I was in charge of athletic communications, I would have a state of like a state of Penn state athletics kind of conversation with Pat craft and, and, and make that a press conference, get people in there asking questions. Cause I think, I mean, right now at Penn state, particularly, there's a lot of very important decisions being made, not just like, not just X's into those footballs or coaches who's going to be hired, but we're looking at has the NIL system at Penn state gotten better. It seems like it has, at least on the, the face of the public, it, it, at least it seems have Valley United, seems more united and more clear. Um, the stadium renovations are coming up. That's, that's something that a lot of people care about. Like, I know they're going to share information as they have it type thing, but what are they thinking? Why did I take that survey? And what, what, what was in that survey that was never really explained well, I think in the, in the process, um, you know, you, you've got probably an interesting time in terms of just revenue, athletic conferences and sell themselves growing, kind of expanding and TV deals kind of changing. What does Pat craft think about the first year of the TV deal? Does he care about what the fan experience is like there? What does Pat craft think about the, the big 10 expanding in terms of, you know, what that's going to do for his athletes, you know, because that it's part of, like we we always look at everything, especially with conference expansion. I feel like through the lens of college football where it's Saturday, right? Like that's, and they fly out on Friday, but what about the, the soccer player? What about the, you know, the golf players, the golf people, what about the, the, any other sports that have to travel a whole hell of a lot more than football does, which is once a week. Um, So I don't know. I think there's, as we as we kind of wrap up the year so to speak there i think there's something to be said and i agree with you particularly about the athletic director let
1: and and he's i don't think he's not available i mean i think he's fairly out there but there could be there's there's something to a consistent quarterly message yeah. or something and just be proactive about it and maybe you wouldn't get requests for stuff Otherwise, oh, if I'm a media member, I don't care if you're proactive. I'm going to ask you for some one-on-one stuff anyway just because, right? And you can't say one-on-ones to everybody. Um, but I think he is has been on the record about what he wants to do for all the sports and wants to win a championship in all the sports. And, and the the teams are traveling, you know, more with charters now than they were before across sports. So I, I think they've done a decent job of that, maybe even a good job, but it just felt clunky this this week on a Monday for the, for the Peach Bowl for that to not be an area they wanted people to go down, which was interesting. So... And I do know money. This is one more little rant tangent. I applied for my... So I, I got my tickets today for the rec, rec hall, the BJC wrestling match. Okay. Usually as a season ticket holder, they just transferred them to a specific area that was kind of comparable with where you were. Today, I had a specific time to sign in and comparable to where I was, was not available. It was all grayed out. Both sections in the middle of the Jordan Center, middle of the mats on both sides, grayed out, not an option for me. So either I'm not given enough money, which... They're not getting more. Or they were just making sure that whoever they wanted to make sure was in the middle was in the middle. But I thought that was an interesting little change.
0: Somebody get Steve better wrestling tickets. That's what he wants. No here. kidding.
1: How about that? You know, I've been had these tickets for, for a decade plus, And now I'm they're making me.
0: You gotta some, you've got to have some Nittany lion club points, even if you're not.
1: No, I paid some, but then we stopped doing football. We didn't give as much. I'm sure I don't have but still you you think about how many years you're
0: ahead of me on
1: Yeah, but we didn't so... give for a long time because we were I was working like I was working oh, in Pittsburgh, right. right? So we weren't, you know,
0: we weren't building stuff okay. up. So and, and right. Okay, done. All right. Feel better you got that off your chest?
1: Oh my god, yes. Yeah. It's 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 so a load off my shoulders. I'm sitting higher in my okay. chair. All
0: right. Here's what I want to know this week's little guy, young guy. It's Christmas related. It's Christmas movie. Christmas. It's a Christmas special related. I want you to give me your top three. Doesn't need to be in order, but your top three Christmas special movie characters. Oh, Rudolph. Okay, like the tr- like claymation Rudolph. Yes, just the character. you are not
1: asking the movie. The, the, yeah. the character, right? Yeah, Rudolph. Yeah, yeah. Um, Elf. Buddy himself, Buddy, okay. Buddy the Elf, and the guy from uh, Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart, whatever he it's a Wonderful Life, whatever his name is in the movie.
0: Such a Steve answer.
1: Did you know he's from Indiana, Pennsylvania?
0: <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't. You said characters. He's a great character. He's a he's a good character. He's a good, good character. Um, okay, Elf is definitely on my list. That's 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 no doubt. Um I'm trying to think who my second would be. Let me think about this for a hot second. I, I think I'm just going to go with Snoopy just cuz I I think Snoopy should be on that list like even if he's not he's not necessarily as integral to the part of in the Christmas mm-hmm. spectacular. I, I think feel like Woodstock has a bigger role um in the, the that that one. But Snoopy deserves to be on the list. And then I I forget what his name is in the movie, but but Bill Niley's character in uh, in Love Actually, the the older rock star guy, that guy is that it makes me laugh. Like the the best Christmas character, I think the best well-written, most well-written Christmas character of a British rocker who definitely lost a few brain cells.
1: There you go. That's great. That's nice. All right.
0: Anything else you want to discuss this week?
1: No, go to no help Joe out with his research filled it out. It takes like seven minutes. It does not, it's not going to blow through it. It takes a couple minutes, but okay. check it out. It's cool.
0: Yeah. All right. I'll do right. it. Um, well, yeah, thank you to Joe for joining us. That was a really interesting interview. Thank you. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Um, other than that, we'll be back next week. I think we'll do a newsletter next week as well. Um, we'll see maybe something bowl related will come up, um, on the blog, but I think newsletter for now um who knows what this week will bring though. Uh so we've got that. Uh we've we have got, a guest next week too. We do have a guest next week. It's a good one. It is so a good excited one. about that one. We won't spoil anything. Don't wanna I'm excited. Um, and then other than that, we've got a website called stuffsummersays.com. says.com. On that website, there's a section called with Steve. With Steve. Um, we've got emails. Mine's Darian at stuff summer says dot com
1: my, Steve my name
0: Ziz. Steve at StuffSummerSays.com. dot com. Uh let's see, what else? We've got a newsletter. You can subscribe, subscribe on the website. Uh you can subscribe to our YouTube page if you're watching us down here. If not and you're listening into audio format, uh, you can five stars thumbs up. Really appreciate all of those. Uh I think that does it for the most of the housekeeping except for our Twitter handles, which mine is at stuff summer says Steve says at Steve Sampson We're out of here. Okay, bye.